Hi, this is John Hartra, and welcome to episode three-ish of Valleys of Numenor. We're up to episode three of the Rings of Power, called Adar, or Adar, or Adar. Yeah, you make up these names. Who knows how you're supposed to pronounce them? Episode three, Galadriel's Island. There's a new director this episode, uh, Wayne Chi Yip, who's been a pretty prolific TV director over the past decade or so. He's also, it looks like, one of 15 or 16 executive producers on the series, as is co-writer of this episode, Justin Doble, who also produced some obscure show in this little corner of the streaming world, Stranger something or other. Now, he did season one, so Kate Bush and Metallica wasn't his idea. The episode opens with Arendir being dragged into the camp of the orcs. A lot of them have those goopy skull things on. He also seems to have found a population of Horder. The orcs have a whole lot of them prisoner. Now, orcs don't like the sun, so sun duty for them is like Colonel Clink being finally sent to the Russian front. But they'll do it for Adar, whoever or whatever that is. Arendir is thrown outside and told to dig. Someone grabs him by the shoulder. Turns out it's his old partner, Medor. The watch warden is also there as well. Guess they probably shouldn't have pulled out of the Southland so soon. Now, the funny part casting-wise is the orc who chains up Arendir is played by Jed Brophy, who was in the Peter Jackson films. He was an orc in the Lord of the Rings films, and in The Hobbit, he played Nori. Told you it sounded like a dwarf name. Out in the sea, Galadriel wakes up and finds herself aboard a ship. Halbrun brings her some food. The two guests or captives are brought on deck to meet the captain, who has the sword of, say it with me, Finrod. No, he doesn't get name-checked in this episode either. The boat sails into the river of a huge island with watchtowers and giant faces carved into the rocks. Galadriel realizes it's the island kingdom of Numenor. They sail into port where a giant statue is there, kind of splitting the difference between the Argonath in Fellowship of the Ring and Christ the Redeemer from Rio. And there's this mountain in the background that looks almost like the Paramount logo. Whoops, wrong streaming service here. The two are brought ashore, and people aren't exactly thrilled to see an elf. Halbrun can't believe men actually made this island, so Galadriel gives them the exposition the writers could actually use. While his men stood with Morgoth, the ancestors of Numenor fought alongside the elves. As a reward, they were given the island. The two beings were friendly for a long time, then something happened along the way that caused a split between them. Okay, the elves fell out of favor with the dwarves, now they fell out of favor with the Numenorians. I'm sensing a pattern here. The two are taken to the palace by the captain. The guard is about to try and keep them out when he sees Galadriel's ears. The queen asks her who she is, and she goes to give her resume. Galadriel of the Noldor, daughter of Finarfin, and commander in the army of King Gilgalad. Hey, finally gets a name. Wish he could have worked in sister of Fenrod who fell in the battle with Sauron or something like that. Not yet. He has to be named eventually. The Chancellor Farazon questions how a man and an elf are together. The elf tells him it just happened that way. The captain was nice enough to save them, and if they can get a ship to Middle-earth, they'll be on their way. Apparently, the Numenorians don't go to Middle-earth all that much, especially not with an elf. It becomes clear the Queen and Galadriel don't like each other, so Halbrand has to step in before they turn into Crystal and Alexis. 
He asked them to continue their hospitality for a few days while they tried to decide what to do. As the captain goes to leave, Halburn gives him a bro hug as thanks. As Halburn and Galadriel leave, he almost goes to maybe kiss her when he gives her Fenrod's sword that he swiped from the captain. The captain does get name dropped at the end of the scene, Elendil, and we also find out he has a son. At sea, we get to meet the son, Isildur. He's on a ship with many other young cadets, but he's off on the side daydream. But he snaps out of it when he sees one of the other cadets untying a rope he really shouldn't. He ends up saving him before he goes and flies into the ocean. The cadets come ashore, and the one who made the mistake is sent off. Isildur's sister comes by for a visit, bringing him his horse. When he asks where his father is, she gives him a sad-faced look. Something must be up. Back at the palace, the queen is speaking to Elendil, and after mentioning where the white tree sheds leaves, trouble comes, she asks him what his name means. He says one who loves the stars, but she says it can also be translated as elf friend. She hints that in her eyes, he's nothing more than a traitor by bringing an elf there. But if he is the loyal servant of Numenor he claims to be, he'll do his queen a service. A guard comes over and hands him a sword. I guess she wants him to use it in some way. Oh, gee, I wonder if we'll end up seeing that sword again at some point. As we leave Numenor, which is correctly depicted on the map as being star-like with five points, we head back over to the Southlands where Arendir and the others are still working away while the orcs hide from the sun. The three former Watch Elves speak among themselves about how Sauron would take on many guises, and maybe this Adar is one of them. When the orcs tell them to get back to work, they say they can't because of the big tree in their way. Revion the Watch Warden tells them the tree has more right to be there than they do. The head orc likes his fighting back and offers him a ration of water. After some trepidation, he drinks it. He gives some to Arendir, who then hands it to Menor, who then gets his throat slit by the orc. Guess it's his way of saying they hate spunk. Arendir says he'll go cut the tree down, which will give him an excuse to take a look around out of the ditch. He climbs up the roots of the tree to find the whole forest devastated. But the trees were my friends. Back in town, Galadriel's escaped again already. She eyes a boat to steal, but Elendil's right behind her and tells her she'll need a bigger boat just to get out of the harbor. She's determined to leave, but he speaks to her in Elvish, which shows he may not totally be against her. He mentioned there's a lot of Elvish writing in the Hall of Lore of his people on one of the other points of the island. Somehow, the two manage to sneak out of town on horseback to make the ride across the island. Then suddenly, the show is directed by Sam Peckinpah, and everything reverts to slow motion for a minute. No violence, just a lot of horse riding. It's very disconcerting. Meanwhile, Halbrand is trying to get a job of some kind, but he can't until he gets a guild star. Union rules, you know. He's eating at a bar when a bunch of guys start harassing him since he was with an elf. Touchy, touchy. To get himself out of the situation, he buys everyone drinks and pals around with the gang. He also managed to snag a guild star for about a minute and a half before the guys notice. They take him out into a back alley and start to work him over. But suddenly Halbrand goes into a rage, knocks several of the men out, and visibly snaps one man's arm practically in half. He then slams the head thug's head against a wall. Jesus, Halbrand's real name Logan? The palace guards then come in and surround him and take him away. At the Hall of Lore, Galadriel and Elendil show the maester 
I mean the record keeper, a drawing. He says he'll take a look and see what they have. She looks at a painting of the hall's founder, Elros, and his brother, Elrond. Ellen is a little surprised she actually knew him and tells her their prior king saved the hall from being destroyed. It turns out the king isn't dead but be thrown for being an elf friend of sorts. He stays in the palace up in a tower. Hint, hint. The record keeper comes back with a letter and a drawing. It matches Sauron's sigil almost exactly, but Galadriel then realizes it's not a symbol but a map. It's a place where evil can hang out and have a place of its own. Can shadows lie there too? Elsewhere in the woods, uh, uh oh, we've either got a group of people on the way to the Burning Man Festival or extras who wandered off the Wicker Man set. Well, actually, it turns out to be the Harfoots practicing their relocation thingy. For a loose group, their rules on this are pretty strict no growing off trail and no being by themselves. Nori is still trying to figure out where to find some star charts in Sadik's book, but she can only get a page or so away before he takes them. Meanwhile, the giant has stumbled onto the star chart. He goes to read it by the fire, unaware that paper and fire don't quite go together. It starts burning. He gets scared and stumbles into camp, falling into a net. He rips himself out of it and calls for Nori. Wait, he knows her name? The group of Harfoots discuss what should be done with the girl. The law says she needs to be left behind, but Sadik allows her and her family to come along as planned. They just have to go to the back of the longest line. You know, think of it as a pit road speeding penalty. Her mother is extremely annoyed at her, but Nori insists this is all happening for a reason. Back in Numenor, Galadriel is a star of her own puppet show. I think Spinal Tap actually opens up. Elendil is there with his son and his daughter telling them he's been promoted to just watch over Galadriel and his extended family is coming to celebrate Isildur's becoming a sea cadet. But the son says he'd like to hold off a year, you know, to maybe after the harvest when his dad would need him the most, only one season more. Elendil's not happy about this and not happy his daughter, Arian, didn't say anything about it. When Isildur brings up the experience of his brother, Anarian, Elendil gets even more upset. Then Arian finds out she was accepted to one of the guilds, giving Isildur time to slip off. Galadriel heads down to the prison and visits Halbrand, and she has a surprise for him. She found a note and a drawing that exactly matches the one on the pendant around his neck, the mark of the king of the Southlands. Turns out Halbrand is a bit more than just a common wanderer, but he warns her the king's ancestors were good buddies with Morgoth and may be again soon but the elf will have none of it and says they'll atone for everything that they did when they get back to Middle-earth. That night, Queen Mejant Muriel goes up to the tower and visits her father. Hmm. Say, weren't we just talking about another king in the tower? The Harfoot migration is on, but as feared, the Brandyfoot cart is falling behind. It's falling behind because there's a giant hanging on the back of the cart. He comes out and does his best Karloff invitation as he says, Friend? Needless to say, he's good for pushing a cart. Back at the orc camp, the elves decide now is the time to stage a revolt. They start swinging chains and tearing hoods off the light-sensitive orcs. The monsters start dragging their captives down into the covered area when Arendir grabs an axe, leaps into the air, and knocks the tarp cover down, leaving them no shade to hide in. The orcs then decide to release the warg. The monster wolf runs out and disembowels a few people, 
Odd that seems to be his preferred method of killing. Arendir is able to trap him for a moment in the roots of the giant tree while Rivian makes for the ridge. He doesn't get far as a couple arrows plunge into him. Instead of killing Arendir, the orcs decide to bring him to Adar. The being of their adulation starts walking towards them, and just as he's about to come into focus, the episode ends. What? You name the episode after him, and the minute he shows up, it's the end of the episode? You probably should have come up with another name for it then. In this episode, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle now start coming together. We finally get to Numenor, and as mentioned, it's correctly depicted as having five points. Now, I'm not sure if this exact description is in the Lord of the Rings books they can use. It's clearly in Unfinished Tales. Maybe they let that one slide as long as they didn't use the name of the individual points. I told you Tovin was very precise in his descriptions. We also get a boatload of new characters, the most important of which are Elendil and his family, Muriel and Farazhan. We already know Elendil and Isildur are going to be important. His other son, Anarion, gets a mention, though at the moment he seems to be estranged from them. He's not supposed to be dead already. If they do that, that's a big no-no. Now, Arian is a new character. There's no mention of Elendil having a daughter in the Lord of the Rings books anywhere. There may be a hint of one in some earlier drafts, but it doesn't look like it proceeded far. So this is new. We'll have to see how the character progresses. Muriel was indeed a queen of Numenor, and her father was faithful to the old ways, namely the Elvish. She's not really made out to be as antagonistic as she is in the series, but if you have Cynthia Adai Robinson in the cast, you have to use her. To my mind, she's the one star in the show, having known her from the excellent star series Spartacus from a decade ago. Oh, what a loss Andy Whitfield was. Now, Farazan will be the more interesting case. He should be shaping up to be a very important character in the series. A lot of the events at the end of the Second Age revolve around him. Let's see if they keep to that. We also get some name drops. Elros, who obviously lived a long time ago. The King Gilgalad finally gets a shout out, and Galadriel's father, Fenorfin, is mentioned. Like I said, they couldn't figure out a way to work Fenrod in there, but... As far as the collapsed timeline goes, it remains to be seen if we're going to have two big battles against Sauron or just one. Technically, we should probably be getting one big one towards the end of next season, then his resurgence and all the rest for the remaining three. They also are really laying the groundwork for the Nazgul with Halbrand trying not to be a king and therefore cursed to succumb to evil. We'll see what happens when the rings finally appear. As far as strict storytelling goes, they seem to have lost the dwarf and Bronwyn threads for the moment, but based on the preview, they'll be back next episode. It's difficult to juggle so many storylines at the same time and keep them all moving forward at the proper pace. Frankly, we should have gotten to Numenor last episode, and you can't name an episode after a character not shown. We probably could have cut right to him instead of all the cool hand Luke section of the segment, you know, with them work, working on the road crew, whatever. The other interesting thing about this episode is the violence quotient made a severe upward turn. The fight in the alley was brutal, and the warg left a few intestines hanging out here and there. It's not Game of Thrones violent, but even the R-rated cut of Battle of the Five Armies didn't get this messy. I guess they're trying to differentiate themselves as much as they can. So overall, this episode did move the plot forward and introduce characters who should be important all the way down to the very end of the series. That's its most important aspect. 
Next time, we'll see where the plot lines move us, and if we finally actually get to see the title character of this episode. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to us: Spotify, Apple, Google, or Amazon. I'm John Hartra. Thanks for listening.